Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There is a seismic political event over the weekend in Argentina with the election of Javier Millet as the next president of Argentina. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mile, we talked a bit about him uh, after the runoff, um, but this yeah, is... Because the world was comparing him to President Trump. This is a uh, pro-Western, free minds, free market, anti-central bank, anti-communist, Misian economist who basically ran against the political ruling class, the the case system uh, in Argentina, and one going away, 12 percentage points over the uh, socialist. Here's, just to give you a little sense of what we're talking about with him, here's uh, some of comments from uh, Millet from a few months ago in a sit-down he did with Bloomberg Television. Now the voice you're going to hear is not his, it's a translator but listen to his riff on essentially the political ruling class in argentina and re- remember this is against the backdrop of triple digit you think inflation's bad here triple digit like 185 percent right inflation is what the argentinians are facing and we're the ones who best represent the opposition to the establishment and the status quo because deep down on the other side there are socialists with bad manners or good manners but they are all socialists who are impoverishing the country, and they're the same from 40 years ago. They've been leading Argentina for years, and it's getting poorer by the minute. In fact, in 2001, there were two and none left. They are the same from then, plus they've multiplied. So that's why we say that a different Argentina is impossible if things continue the same as always. And we're here to change that. I love the idea that uh, there are socialists of good manners and there are socialists of bad manners, but they're all socialists, and that's the problem. 312-642-5600, turnkey dot pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey dot pro text line. Uh, he was asked uh, uh, in that same interview about, uh, per your what you said, Amy, about it, the comparisons oh, yeah. to Trump. And his about, fans call him the crazy, you know, they love him. Uh, why, uh, or if it's true, I guess he was asked if he admires Trump. It's been said that you admire Donald Trump. Is that true? I respect and admire all those who have managed to stand up against international socialism. Yeah, that's um, that's a yes. Uh, here's uh, sort of the fundamentals, because there's some differences, actually. I mean, he, you know, he is a, basically, I mean, there's some gradations here, but he essentially comes from the Austrian School of Economics, von Mises, Hayek, Henry Hazlitt, Murray Rothbard, that school. So he's a free trader. 
in a way that some on the populist right are not. So just listen to his articulation. By the way, again, he, he's an economist. He he rose to some celebrity in Argentina because of television debates, because of um, uh, this program that he ultimately got that gave him profile. So, again, some similarities here. And he has but a I, unique look. I mean, his unruly mop of hair. Yeah, he looks like— He uh, calls himself it, the lion. He looks like Dudley Moore from Arthur. Yeah, there he, That's the go. haircut he has. Yep. Yeah, that's um, perfect. Dan. So, yeah, another uh, unique haircut a la uh, the former president here. But um, but I mean, he's also a, like a serious economist. He's taught in Argentinian universities. Uh, he published academic papers. He wrote a book last year, The Path to Liberation, that really lays out some of the philosophical underpinnings of what he's proposing. And what he is proposing is radical capitalism in Argentina. Our fundamental angles are free trade, peace, freedom, and aligning ourselves to the West, where our top references are the United States and Israel. And what about China? It's one of the main trading partners. It might be a business partner with the private sector. However, we do not make pacts with communists. So what would you do? In other words, would you stop Argentina's relations with China? I would not promote relations with communists, whether it's Cuba, Venezuela, North Korea, Nicaragua, or China. In other words, for Venezuela, are you going to change the policy? Obviously. And what about Brazil? It's the country's most important trade partner. You've spoken harshly about Lula in the past. Can you have a closer relationship? No. What do you mean? You don't think so? In fact, I believe that Mercosur must be eliminated because it is a defectuous customs union that harms good Argentines. In other words, it's basically a trade managed by states to favor a specific class of businessmen. So that doesn't promote trade. It destroys trade. That generates trade diversion. It isn't good. It generates income for friends of the power class. It's truly horrible. But in the world, there are a lot of bilateral and commercial treaties. It's good for the private sector. No, it's good for those who are associated with governments in managing that trade. It's not good for the people. What's good for the people is for trade to be free, and it's not. When the state gets involved, it does harm. In fact, Mercosur works that way in Argentina. It generates a trade diversion. If it generates trade diversion, it generates harm. And who gets the benefits? Politicians who steal and favored businessmen. Then the question is, why do you want there to be a favored businessman and thieves at the expense of good citizens? Yeah, so um, basically I'm not going to play the rent-seeking game with corporatists. And, I mean, the definitive, look, uh, the private sector, essentially, the private sector, if they want to do business uh, wherever they want to do business, China, Venezuela, Nicaragua. But in terms of this administration, you know, th this government, the government I, I'll be the head of. We don't do deals with communists. There's a red line. Three, one, two, six, four, two, five, six, zero, zero, turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line, six, four, six, three, six, type in D.A., then a quick comment. He wants to eliminate the central bank. He wants to make the U.S. dollar the currency in Argentina. I mean, this is really interesting. Um, he and, had also, more... and also, too, real quick, I mean, he thinks sex education is a Marxist plot to destroy the family. Uh, Pro-life. Mm -hmm. um, although he has some libertarian leanings that some conservatives wouldn't share, like sort of uh, being uh, supportive passive on the issue of legalization of prostitution, which you know, functionally 
exists in Argentina. Um, but I, this is going to be really interesting because I, I just wonder, as I did when it came across the wire that he won and by the margin that he won, given what he said and given how he talks about communists and uh, the people, the, the, the uh, rent-seeking political class in Argentina that's destroyed that country's economy. I mean, he uses profanity on television in Argentina. If you watch the interviews. He oh, calls yeah, them parasites. I mean, there's, there is no pulling punches here. And so you just wonder if this is perhaps Brexit 2.0. What Brexit in 2015 foreshadowed about 2016 in America, I, I just wonder if you'll see this uh, revolt against the rent-seeking political class spread. I hope it does. More on um, from uh, Mile on spending, deregulation, things that uh, certainly have some pertinence to our politics. Our program goal is 15 points. It is a state reform where the public spending is lowered. Taxes are lowered and progress is made in the sets of reforms that deregulate the economy. We plan to cut public works, bring it to a private initiative system, the Chilean way. We plan to cut discretionary transfers to zero and to eliminate economic subsidies, thus recalibrating the economic financial equation of the contracts to minimize the impact on prices. That gives you 13 GDP points. But we also want to advance in the privatization of public companies, and that's one GDP point. And we want to advance in the elimination of privileged regimes, which is another GDP point. So basically, let's say that's where we plan to change to public spending. And on the other hand, we're also thinking about modernizing the labor market with an unemployment insurance system. And once we are competitive at a fiscal and labor level, we can have a unilateral opening process. Alex Hinsdale, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, good morning, guys. Uh, it's striking to me... When I watched his interview with Tucker Carlson, that I finally realized that America, like Argentina, had to hit rock bottom with these policies. And uh, President Biden always says, don't compare me to the almighty, but the alternative. I'm afraid that's why Biden's numbers are collapsing. People are comparing him to how it was three short years ago. And I think that happened in Argentina. People realize uh, the same policies will get you the same results. And I see a real shifting uh, in America as we just saw in Argentina. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 think so, I hope you? you're right. Uh, I hope you're right. I mean, the, the other thing, too, it was just interesting to note about uh, Mile is he was really buoyed by uh, younger voters in Argentina that essentially uh, were fed up with the men and women of always, just like so many here are fed up with the men and women of always. Uh, you know, his slogan essentially was... Make Argentina great again? Well, no, but his slogan was out with all of them. That's awesome. Like, just keep it simple. And it's a bumper sticker, too, and it's so effective. Out with all of them. Throw the bums out, Argentinian style. Well, that's basically what happened. I mean, they'd all be right. heading towards what Venezuela is. And that's, you know, people eating feral animals on the streets. Well, you certainly, um, yeah, the uh, collapse of your currency and 185% inflation Ooh. is not a situation, not a positive situation for the uh, the workaday family, is it? Mm -hmm. No. And that's uh, that's who put uh, Javier 
uh, melee in, and we're going to see. But this is going to be really interesting to watch. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. On this edition of Sports and Politics, uh, it's the sports reporters that are in the crosshairs. You know what I think of the sports press corps. Not much. Just look at it in Chicagoland. And it's the argument I always made, which uh, those goon squads at the score confirmed a few months back, was that they're left-wing hacks who know very little about the outside world and are just desperate to be taken seriously. Uh, So they mimic and parrot whatever they hear and see from the political press corps, wherever they are. That's generally speaking how it is. But this is really not about that so much, except to the extent that Carissa Thompson, who is a host for Fox Sports and the NFL on Amazon Prime, to the extent that Carissa Thompson represents the Stephen Glass, Jason Blair style of journalism we get from the political press corps. Remember those two plagiarists, Jason oh. Blair, New York Times, Stephen Glass, New Republic? Moody about Stephen Glass, Shattered Glass. Good stuff. Just made up stories. And Carissa Thompson was on Barstool Sports, a podcast for that site, uh, last week. And she uh, said the following, which got her in a bit of uh, hot water with her colleagues. You're not supposed to say these things out loud. I haven't been fired for saying it, but I'll say it again. I would make up the report sometimes because, A, the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late. And I was like, I didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make this up. Because, first of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to stop uh, hurting ourselves. We needed to be better on third down. We yep. need to stop turning the ball Pressure over. The quarterback. We need, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and do a better job of getting off the field. Like They're not going to correct me on that. Right. So I'm like, it's fine. I'll it, just make up the report. 312-642-5600 turnkey.pro answer line 64636DA turnkey.pro text line should Carissa Thompson be immediately fired by Fox, immediately fired by Amazon, so as to protect the integrity of the sideline <laughs> reporter. Or, I mean, does anybody care? Because on-field interviews are worthless sometimes, right? Or do people lock into that? Sometimes. What do you mean? Well, sometimes they're interesting. Lisa Salters, just to give you an example. I mean, I don't even know how much people pay attention to who these people are. But if you watch sports, it sort of... Yeah, it just, you know, it sort of just seeps into your brain, even though you may not want it to. 
Lisa Salter is responding. Uh, she is uh, shocked, disappointed, disgusted. What we heard today, what you just heard, called all sideline reporters into question. My job is an honor, a privilege, and a craft at which I have worked so hard. Trust and credibility, they mean everything to a journalist. To violate either one in any way not only makes a mockery of the profession, but it's a disservice to players, coaches, and most importantly, the fans. The fans. Oh, oh yes. Always standing up for the fans. Lisa Salters. People uh, pay your salary. She's over at ESPN, and for those of you scoring at home. Yeah, I mean, it is tough. Look, uh, you have to dodge being kissed by a drunk Joe Namath. Um, so that can happen on a, to a sideline reporter. <laughs> do you, uh, Justin, do you know who Joe Namath is now? Joe Namath? Joe Namath. This Joe Namath you you speak of? Uh, Tracy Wolfson, another one. She was on the sidelines this weekend. Uh, I can't remember if it was college or pros. They all blend together. Uh But anyway, uh, this is absolutely not okay, not the norm, and upsetting on so many levels. I take my job very seriously. I hold myself accountable for all I say. Every cliche I utter, I hold myself accountable. My parenthetical correct. I build trust with coaches and never make something up. I know my fellow reporters do the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I just can't mm-hmm. believe. I mean, first of all, mm-hmm, you shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. I, I, I mean, obviously, you know what every coach is going to say by now. If you've been in the business, or if you've been just passing by, like casually watching sports, you know, football games, whether they're the college or the professional level. But why did she admit it? Um, that's the strange part she, to me too. I think she's trying to be interesting. Oh. I think she, you know, she's oh. trying to be one of the boys. Oh yeah. I I don't know because then she, of course with the firestorm that she got in response, she said, oh, when I said I just made stuff up, I meant I didn't make stuff up. I I meant 180 degrees the opposite of what I said. I never lied, she said, never lied. I chose the wrong words in describing describing what I did. Um, Yeah, she, uh, I'm sorry, I chose the wrong words. I have nothing but respect. For blah 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 and so on and so forth, uh, I chose the wrong words. I don't know. It it didn't seem like um, you can uh, walk back. I made stuff up. To I didn't mean to. When I said I made stuff up, I didn't mean to communicate that I made stuff up. I mean, I there's not a lot of wiggle room there, you know. I just I would never do it. I could so, do it. So when you you never. Um, Said you talked to Drew. You never said you talked to Drew Peterson if you didn't talk to him. Wait, what? Did you cover the Drew Peterson case? Yeah. Well, so you never said Drew. Like, uh, I I was or an inside source told me when there's no inside source. Yeah, or yeah, like I'm just, I'm just, I'm guessing what Drew Peterson would say about what happened in court today. No, 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 no. no. Did you know? But I, I know reporters. When I did the morning shift at Channel Five back in the '90s. Um, I know reporters from another station. I'm not going to say her name or the station. She, I would listen to her reports. And say, Where did you get that? You just made that up. There's no one at the hospital right now to give you that information. And she just would walk away, put her nose up and walk into, sit in the car. I know she was lying. And the other reporters from seven and nine knew she was lying too. I mean, is this so like, this is, this is like, uh, I mean, this isn't quite like Brian Williams, the sort of Commander McBrag. You know, I was I was at the scene, I'm, the floating bloated bodies in uh, in Katrina after the hurricane Katrina, where when he wasn't present for 
the, the things he said he was present for, he couldn't have seen what he reported he, seen, he saw. Brian Williams, the, the fabulous, well, the liar. And, I mean, I almost... But this is sports. Well, I, well, I know. This is, well, this is so, is, I mean, the standard is like, who, is that a shoulder shrug comment? The standard no, is like, I who mean, cares? Because, I mean... They, sh- they Brian, shouldn't be doing it. They should not be doing it. Well, of course. Because this is why people don't trust journalists. Brian, but but, I mean, but I, I'm trying to decide who I even like have more uh, th- that even matters to me uh, th- more. Brian, like a Brian Williams case, or even a Jason Blair or Stephen Glass case, or like a, a Carissa Thompson, because it's like I don't I don't mean Brian Williams on the uh, NBC news desk. I mean that's as much of a joke as a sideline reporter, isn't it? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I also think that uh, you sort of mentioned it um, to prevent me from having to be the male chauvinist pig here about the um, importance of the sideline reporter. Um, so also to outsource the um, intemperate comments about that, since you've opened the floodgates. Yeah, I mean they're just eye candy. Well. This is okay. There you go. That's well, th- thank you. I mean, how many uh, male sports re- sideline reporters are there left? Any? Are there any at all? Uh, is uh, John Dockery still uh, on the sidelines at Notre Dame games? I, I haven't. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, uh, Michelle Tafoya I mean, was my favorite. Michelle Tafoya and Peggy Kaczynski, they know sports. There have been some. That, and I love Jill Carlson too back in the day. There've been there've been some guys that have done like double duty. I mean, they'll they'll be on the desk, but you also see them sometimes doing sideline reporting. Uh, well, here's Bill Burr. I'm just going to outsource. Okay. These, oh, these oh, comments. I'd love to hear what he has to say. So I don't have to. Yeah, I don't have to be the bad guy here. Uh, Bill Burr uh, from uh, back in the day on Conan O'Brien's show on the uh, sideline reporter. How do you feel about this? I don't like how they interview the coaches, too, when they go to the half, like, in, in the halftime. Yeah. As they're running off. Like, I think they should just be able to stay focused on the game. They shouldn't have to talk to somebody in, like, a ski parker. They're like, yeah, you know, you're down by 14. Uh, what are your thoughts? It's like, what the, what do you think my thoughts are? It sucks. I'm worried about my job. I'll probably have to sell my house. My wife's going to leave me. I need to score more points in the other half. <laughs> Who are you? Why am I talking to you? You're not even in football. Yeah. Did you even play to the high school level? No, no, probably you not. You took journalism. Yeah. Get out of here. What about... Yeah, it's a bunch of nerds interrupting people who know what they're doing. <laughs> right. Um, and, like, the Carissa Thompson won't get fired, but, uh, you know, Stage, Sage Steele gets pushed out of ESPN because she won't comply with the vax mandate. You know, in other such cases, you know, for political reasons, you see uh, some of these, uh, even the eye candy types that get uh, treated badly. Um, I mean, we saw that during COVID. But then somebody admits to, uh, you know, breaching her ethical responsibilities as a reporter in any arena. And it's good. She'll she does the apology and she'll I'm sure she'll be back on, uh, you know. Amazon covering the Thursday night games. Joe in Naperville, you're on. Oh, Joe in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, she she won't get fired because she checks off a box. And Amy definitely has lied when she was covering those snow reports. Because how did she know how many inches we we're going to get and when it was going to fall? Because I talked to Brant Miller. Thanks for the call. 
Yeah, well, you and Brant Miller were conspiring to defraud Chicago NBC viewers. No. Uh, Come on, tell us some more fun stories from the front. Like, name names. I can't name name this person, but it was so fraudulent and so irresponsible. And it made us all look like we weren't doing our jobs because the person on on the assignment desk would watch other stations be like, well, they're reporting this. Why aren't you reporting that? And I said, because I can't confirm that, and I think she's making it up. Well, what's the specific incident? If oh, it was outside. Um, oh, I think it was outside Loyola Hospital, some, some hospital, and um, there was some high-profile patient, and she said she got information from the the nursing staff. Well, the, they're not talking to her. They'd get fired if they talked to her, and it wasn't, you know, like who was by this person's side, and she didn't know that, and she made it up, and we confronted her on it, and she just walked back in her truck and shut the door, and waited for her next hit to say the same. BS, if you know what I mean. But for snow stories, sometimes when they send you out and there was no snow damage, or not damage, I mean uh, storm you'd damage. Have to, you'd, you'd have to create the damage. Well, no, I would literally, I would find a tiny little branch and up <laughs> the branch and just say things like, well, this is, you know, when it comes to snowstorms, this one is a real sleeper. Not a lot going on. This is what we expected and it didn't happen. I don't see anybody doing that anymore. So you didn't do like the like what we've seen some of these journalists do where they pretend to be in the middle of the war zone and they're like in a park nowhere near the war zone, but they're all duded up or in the war they're zone. They're waiters. I'm, I'm risking my lives. Yeah. yeah right, my, or they're my waiting, life. They're waiters yes. are in, in flood water and then people and they're or they're in a canoe in an alleged, you know, flooded street and people are walking behind them in their gym shoes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. No, I don't do that. Could not you do never that. you never to try to, you know, amp up the snow apocalypse coverage like had the uh the camera guys put together a snow bank that where you could be like up to your neck yeah even no. though there was like just a dusting going on you never did anything no, like that. no I've staging seen people do that yes huh. i don't like it and i don't like what this uh thompson lady did either because i they, they do you think they're really going to have her on on thursday night football well this thursday's thanksgiving it's different but you don't think yeah. she's going to get fired or suspended uh, I, I doubt she, I don't know. I doubt she gets fired. I mean, there'll probably be a, some, perf, you know, sort of within the bubble pressure yeah. from other, you know, reporters that are all, you know, morally indignant, like you're hearing, like you saw on Twitter and, and some of the response that prompted her apology and clarification, which is, you know, a complete about face. It's not a clarification. But I I don't think so. I think you get fired in that industry like most industries if you cross the line politically but not ethically. So that's my that's sort of my my handle. That's what we've seen. If you cross the line politically, if you 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 know stray from established uh, leftist orthodoxy within these corporate settings because that's what all this sports media is, then you you can get I mean even when you're a good reporter like Rachel Nichols. Um Oh yeah, she's good too. Yeah. But um, um so, but 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 uh ethical ethical mis, you know um uh lapses in judgment not so much unless you're a dude and it's sexual harassment related. Is this true we got a text message Dan and Amy Rush Limbaugh got fired from doing NFL games? He knew well, more yeah. about football than most of the sideline reporters. Well, yeah, but they're not in the booth, and, and right. nor should they be. I mean, could you imagine? Um, but 
Well, he got, he got, yeah, well, yeah, you remember when, but that was a big controversy. Monday Night Football, he's in the booth. And, and then he had, uh, there there was like, they ginned up, like he said something that was racist uh, about black quarterbacks. Was it, was it, was it, was it, was it Randall Cunningham or Warren Moon? I I can't remember which quarterback, which black quarterback, but he said something that was perceived as being intemperate and in, about black quarterbacks and that was you know that just gave uh well the leftist media the in they needed to put the pressure on the corporate entities to sideline rush and i don't mean as a reporter text message dan and amy fire have you seen her legs enough said <laughs> mike in littleton colorado Good morning, happy Monday, and thank you for taking my call. I mean, A, uh, it was Donovan McNabb was the quarterback. Oh, McNabb, that's what it was, yeah, McNabb. I knew it was an eagle. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, having to consistently exalt who turned out to be a mediocre quarterback to make a political point, that's what Diddy meant. Um well, I mean, I don't want to get I don't want to get into a you know ranking of the. I mean, McNabb was better than a mediocre quarterback, but anyway, go ahead. Okay. Anyway, thank you. Plus, he's, plus he, you know she's Chicago, so we give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Uh, the uh, just the, you know the people that should be fired are the fans. I mean, right now everybody should say I'm done watching football, or write to the people and say if this is the the ethical standards of the people calling the games. I'm no longer going to watch, but you know what? Hey, we're thirty trillion in debt. Oh, that's no big deal. But oh my God, the Broncos are five and five, and that's the problem. <laughs> well, yeah, of course we don't. We're not a serious country, at least not right now. We just want our bread and circuses. At least half the country does. Maybe that's changing. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be everybody. You're always going to have a significant percentage of the population that is strictly interested in uh, being satiated by you know external forces they're not really doing anything they just passively want to consume um but uh but yeah i mean yeah, we we are we're like we're totally beset by by the bread and circuses of the day right now it's just you know it's this it's what we say about chicago and about illinois it's just not bad enough yet Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today. 773-467-5630. 773-467-5630 or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So we talked on Friday about Governor Jelly Belly's plan for aiding Chicago in providing for uh, migrants. Uh, yeah, he's throwing $160 million on the pile. It's, it's actually more than that. We're, we're starting to get into pretty big numbers, actually. I'll detail those in a second. but that And that uh, proceeded... BLM Brandon's updated plan for migrants that was rolled out on Friday, which sounded very much like his previous plan for migrants that had previously been rolled out. But it is also worth noting, as Cass and I talked about on Friday, that uh, they're not doing this jointly. I'm talking about the mayor and the governor. They're doing this one after the other. There's a little bit of a competition here, and I think part of the competition is to ensure that – well, from BLM Brandon's perspective, to ensure that both wear the jacket. From Jelly Belly's perspective, to ensure that only BLM Brandon wears the jacket for what's happening in the city. Because I thought, I mean, I remember on Thursday, I said, oh, they're going to have a joint press conference to discuss. It wasn't. He had, they both had separate ones, which I thought they were discussing the same topic. Which was strange. Well, it's not strange. I think what I just Right. Described explains what's happening here. The relationship was started off chilly and it's getting chillier. So is the weather. So the big uh, news on Friday and I know news in quotations because it said that in advance of this uh, rollout. It's generous to call it a rollout. 60 days and you got to walk. 60 days and uh, I'll. Migrants have to leave the migrant shelters. And then they have to go to an intake center to reapply for access to the shelters. Okay, well, so, and so that means like all 12 to 15,000 would be out by early April. And so then they go, they, they all go back to the intake center and then they all come back to the, I mean, is this just sort of a dance of the lemons, so to speak, here? There's sort of a three-card Monty game. Uh, where are the migrants over here, or are they over here? Are they under this tent, or are they are the intake center? Uh, Where's what, this intake center going to be? That's the thing, too. And yeah, I, you know, yeah. I mean, they they broke ground over the weekend at 115th and Halstead, and then when reporters showed up, Dan, for the chain link fence, they put a black tarp on the chain link fence so that they couldn't see the work that they were doing. Well, so so unless they, I, I mean, maybe this is the hope is that okay, we've got. You get 60 days, and it's all about 60 days for work permits and to be self-sustaining so that we can accommodate those that are being dropped off here. And then or also, the next group. Well, okay. Yeah, I'll let you finish. Uh, so, is, so, so is, is it really that, or is it 60 days knowing that you're going to have to endure some pretty cold temperatures and hope that, you know, which, by the way, used to be something that Republicans would get excoriated over. You're hoping that people self-deport. 
Is that what's really going on here? That is exactly what I thought when I saw the details for both. And I thought, oh, they're basically telling them without telling them, don't bother to come here because we don't have your back. Greg Craig Wall from Channel 7, at the end of his report, he said this, and I went, uh-oh. Um, the, when your time in the shelter runs out, there will not be any help to rent a place to stay. Yeah, we'll see about that. I, I'm a, I, I... I don't that think doesn't sound got... so welcoming, does it? Then? Yeah, but I, I think they're trying to slow the pace, but I don't think they're trying to stop it. I mean, I, I, I yeah, they're probably trying to send a signal, you know, don't come here, don't come around here, Tom Petty. Um, but I think that's temporary. Okay. That would be my guess. And it'll be a lot easier to accommodate once the weather breaks in the spring. I don't think they want to stop this. I think they want to slow it because they need to slow the burn rate because they're spending a lot more than they're suggesting they're spending. And they don't want to be in the position that New York is in right now, oh where, as we talked about on Friday again, where Eric Adams is uh, cutting funding from police and K through 12 education in order to accommodate the billion and a half dollars they've already spent on migrants and the 12 billion that he expects to spend over the next couple of years at this pace. So I think what they're saying is we need to reduce the rate of burn here so that we can continue to bring people in and resettle them in the words of Carlos Ramirez Rosa. This is a resettlement program. That's how Carlos Ramirez Rosa described it. And Ramirez Rosa is a lot closer to BLM Brandon than um, anybody else who's using uh, the the weasel words that Pritzker used about temporary this and so on and so forth. Pritzker doesn't use the R word, but all the Marxists around BLM Brandon do. And that's instructive. So I don't think the city wants to end it. I think they want to slow it. 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. And to you, replacement program, is it because they want to grow the Democratic Party? Well, you you have, I mean, look at what other uh, individuals are doing here. So Tony, Tony, Tony Preckwinkle mm-hmm. uh, and the Cook County Board just passed a $100 million emergency fund for you know disasters that could occur in 2024 that's their cover story but if you look below the fold of the 100 million 70 million would be allocated for new arrival health care costs 20 million would be allocated for municipal or local government costs related to migrants and then 10 million would be allocated for other disasters that may happen so they're calling it some sort of contingency fund but they've allocated 90 percent of it to migrants so that there's 100 million there. There's 160 from Jelly Belly. There's 150 from BLM Brandon, in addition to what's already been spent, which, um, according to some estimates, is already half a tr- uh, half a billion dollars. And um, by the way, um, Jeannie Ives at her uh, Breakthrough Ideas newsletter uh, had this little nugget uh, from State Representative Brad Hallbrook, who's part of the Freedom Caucus. He's a downstater. The $160 million? Um, uh, Holbrook requests a report on total state spending projected and committed on uh, migrants since August of 2022. That number for all state agencies, August 22 to present and what's been disclosed as projected, you know, as set-aside monies to cover project $708 million. In the last uh, 14, 15 months. So, um, yeah, 
this is going way above the numbers that they're reporting, of course. In, this, in the city level, this is against the city budget that's uh, $500 million short, and that's probably a rosy estimate. Forty uh, percent of that relates to migrant costs. I, they're, they're, they're slow walking the numbers. They're slow walking what they've already spent in terms of disclosing. They're underestimating what they're projecting to spend because they're hoping to slow this down but not stop it. So they're just trying to manage this thing because it's coming at them too fast and it's you know, with too much money uh, required. But again, don't think that there's been any change of attitude on the larger topic of sanctuary city, sanctuary state, bringing in and resettling because I don't think there has. That's my intuition. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Bill, Cape Coral, Florida. Yeah, you know, this uh, 60 days and out is nothing more than a uh, patronage job position for all his cronies. They'll all be, they'll be the assistant to the director of the directors, shuffling papers, all making enough six figures. Uh, it's going to be nothing but friends and family members getting big-time jobs for just shuffling around papers. And, and on another note, check the overtime slips on those officers that protect him, the 35 or whatever the heck he's got. Look at their overtime slips. 35, Tommy Dane, 125. Yeah, thanks for the call, Bill. Um, yeah, uh, there's some, uh, you know, this stuff sort of bleeding out. Uh, $56 million has been spent on favorite healthcare staffing, oh. which is a Kansas-based company that's been tasked with taking care of Migrants, non-citizens. Didn't they help out during COVID-19, too? They may have. Yeah. Uh, Some of these, and you can see why they're back. Some of the employees were being paid 195 bucks an hour. I know. Channel 5 did a great expose on who's getting what kind of cash. Security guards are making up six figures in two months. If you're a manager on one of those sites, oh, because you're overtime, they're racking in the overtime, 80 hours a week. They're claiming that they're working. They're making... 37,000 a month. Well, it's really fascinating. I tweeted it out because it's, it's highway robbery. BLM Brandon said, uh, business. He's in communication with his congressional, with, uh, Illinois congressional congregation. Yeah. That's an August body. Uh Um, I went to DC a couple weeks ago and I said a minimum of $5 billion for the country. That's what I said. So uh, he's uh, already put his marker down with uh, the big guy, Mr. Ten Percent. He wants five billion for the country, and obviously a, a healthy slice for Chicago. But um, again, just based on what New York is projecting to spend over the next couple of fiscal years, and what they're doing right now, which are headline-grabbing cuts, because anything uh, with the crime that has beset New York and its subway system in particular, but not limited to that. And you're talking about cutting funding for NYPD. That's going to get headlines. So Eric Adams is really biting a bullet. I can't imagine he wants to. Very interesting. Kurt in Lamont. Yeah. Hi, uh, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I don't know whether you've discussed this previously, but there was an article in the Daily Mail online um, within the last couple of weeks, basically projecting that the cost of uh, this uncontrolled migration was going to be um, for over $450 billion a year to the U.S., so nearly half a trillion dollars a year to the U.S. And it really doesn't matter what your perspective is, whether you agree with migration or not. It's just not sustainable. And so in the examples you just cited, 
you have a lot of people seemingly feeding at the trough already. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the call, Kurt. No, it's a sure. It's a it's an industry. It's a rent seeking opportunity. Uh, and I mean, well, think about that. You know what, what, how the costs can uh, increase exponentially. I mean, we're talking about two million gotaways during this presidency. We're, we're New York is uh, laboring under the weight of a hundred thousand. They have one hundred thirty-two thousand. One hundred thirty-two thousand. I mean, Chicago. Chicago is laboring up the uh, under the weight, throwing up its hands, spending almost. Uh, a billion dollars on twenty five thousand. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. So and so just on what we know in terms of gotaways, two million. Oof. Yeah. But, you know, it, it adds up. One of those things. Uh, Neil in LaGrange. Hey, good morning. Uh, two things. Uh, the one uh, first thing about uh, said your uh, screener was I read that. Uh, the mayor added 20 officers to his detail over uh, Lightfoot. So I thought the number came to 135. Yeah, that's what I said. Uh, that, that's what John Garrido told us, former retired okay. police lieutenant. Yeah, yeah that's, it, and that's right. It was in uh, your program over the weekend, I think. And then yeah. secondly, I, I read that um, New York lost 11 more billionaires, um, I think, last year I read, in one of the business magazines. And, you know... Um, Adams is begging uh, the rich. It's, you know, all hands on deck. I think I read this morning somewhere. So um, that's not going to stop. Yeah, no, it's not. Nope. Nope. Thanks for the call, Neil. Yeah, I'm just reading into this NBC report. Staffers, the lowest paid staffer is making $50 an hour. Some are making $156 an hour, and that's before overtime. And I mean, look, we are in the wrong business. I'm not trying to take money out of anybody's pocket, but I mean, um, Let's say that's market rate for the services they provide, just for the sake of argument. Okay, fine. So how long can we pay those rates to serve how many people? That's a question they don't want to answer, as I'm saying. Frank, uh, Board of Trade. Yeah, my grandmother came here in 1905. I don't remember a social safety uh, network that was created along these lines. Then to the issue of these migrants, are they so decompensated that they are not going to be able to support themselves? Well, yeah. I mean, thanks for the cover. Why why do you have to? The the whole idea, first of all, the the process of getting one of these work permits that the big guy made available. I mean, the bureaucracy of that alone. Mm -hmm. And then and then what you're going to start working uh, 30 days, 45 days from now. And all of a sudden, you're going to have enough cash in your pocket to pay first and last month's rent for a place in Chicago. I mean, come and then on, get it furnished, and then buy groceries and clothes. I mean, it's just not feasible. And I, yeah, I don't this, understand. This like, is fantasy land stuff. Well, I'm looking at these staffing numbers and, how, and these exorbitant salaries. Why can't they? They don't have jobs right now. Why can't they clean up after themselves? Why do they need staffing to take care of their linens and everything at these shelters? Uh, it's mind-boggling to me. Oh my God. And yeah, please I mean, pick up right. Your garbage, please. Pick Give them uh, rolls of quarters for the local laundromat. Well, I mean, I, they're, you know? they're sitting around. I mean, I live right by one, and I drive by my police station every day. I seem like they're just sitting there outside. Are you sure those aren't city workers? You're confusing them. Hey, uh, Jeff in West Chicago. Hey, yeah, I think they're talking about just um, 60 days to slow the spread. 
<laughs> just 60 days. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the call, Jess. Just, just 60 days to slow the spread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can all do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cardi B has weighed in. Oh, New no. You, this now look, this is not going to be enjoyable to listen to, but these are the th- kind of things we must do to try to get to uh, white suburban teenagers and their moms. Uh, we have to enlist Cardi B. OK, I'm, uh, n- I'm now that she's no longer focused on um, drugging and robbing John's. Oh. Uh, well, I know. Am I am I wrong? No, I was just thinking too soon. Yeah, no, it's not too soon. It really isn't too soon. Um, this is Cardi B's comment on the news that's getting around about the New York City budget cuts and Biden, who she endorsed, but she says she won't again. Again, this is a warning for those who are not comfortable risking a few IQ points. In New York, there is a $120 million budget cut. There's a 120 million budget cut in New York that is going to affect schools, public libraries, and um, the police department. Y'all know I don't give a f- about the cops, but like it is what it is. There's going to be an 120 million dollar budget cut with schools, with libraries, and the cops and the police department, and a five million dollar budget cut in sanitation. Of a budget cut. In sanitation, bitch, we're going to be drowning with rats. We're going to be drowning in f***ing rats. So we are going to be having a budget cut on these Mind you, this is why I said, I'm not, this is why I'm telling y'all, I'm not this year. Don't f***ing ask me. I don't give a f- the resume that they send. I don't give a f- I'm not endorsing no f***ing presidents no more. Because how is there a hundred, $100 million budget cut in New York City for, for, um, schools, library, uh, police safety, and sanitation. Yeah, Joe Biden is talking about, like, yeah, we could fund two wars. We could fund two wars. Motherfuckers talking about we don't got it, but we got it. Like, we're the greatest nation. No, the f*** we're not. We're going through some shit right now. Like, say it. Say it. We're really going through, uh, we, we, we really, 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 really are f*** right now. Um, wow, maybe she should have stayed in English class. It's uh, it's so straightforward. Even Cardi B sort of gets it. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, the DeSantis campaign, writ large, just use that as a handle for unaffiliate or uh, independent super PACs and the campaign itself. Just, you know, the campaign, the campaign messaging. Ron DeSantis supporters, regardless of uh, from where the uh, correspondence or communication is coming. Uh, So the DeSantis campaign going after Nikki Haley. And DeSantis himself on the Sunday show is going after both Haley and Donald Trump. Interesting. The uh, Haley uh, compilation, sort of your classic, who is the real Nikki Haley? You know, who's the real, what's the real deal about my opponent? And uh, sort of the kitchen sink of uh, your opponent's uh, perhaps uh, 
less popular statements with respect to the electorate in question. Uh, here's a compilation of said for Nikki Haley. You know, I often say that the reason I got into politics was because of Hillary Clinton. I went with my friend Eleanor Kitzman to a firm and leadership program where Hillary Clinton was speaking. And I walked out of there and I said, I'm running for office. For too long, Republican and Democrat presidents dealt with immigration based on a quota. We'll take X number this year, we'll take X number next year, the debate is on the number. It's the wrong way to look at it. We need to go to our industries and say, what do you need that you don't have? We need as many immigrants as we can. Start to listen to your businesses and do what they need. Years earlier, as South Carolina governor, Haley celebrated a deal that brought a business with ties to the Communist Chinese Party to her home state. We want to thank Chairman Zong and everyone at the Jushi Group for allowing South Carolina to be the first location of your first U.S. manufacturing hub. We value partnership more than anything else, and we look forward to partnering with all of you. 2015, Haley ranked number one among Republican governors in Chinese investment. Haley's administration oversaw $1.43 billion in Chinese investment in South Carolina. When I was governor, they wanted to bring in a, a bathroom bill, a transgender bathroom bill, and I strong-armed and said, we are not going to have that in South Carolina. What care should be on the table when a 12-year-old child in this country, assigned female at birth, says, actually, I feel more comfortable living as a boy? What should the law allow the response to be? Well, I think the law should stay out of it. Nikki Haley think we should be bringing in more refugees. And America's always been sympathetic to the fact that you can separate civilians from terrorists. And that's what we have to do. I do not think we need to pull money from the UN. We don't believe in slash and burn. When I get into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts. A huge issue that I'll deal with as soon as I get there is social media. Every person on social media should be verified by their name. We need to know exactly who they are and they need to show their own name. They need to verify every single person and I want it by name. Let's increase the gas tax by 10 cents over the next three years. No one jumped in more forcefully or seemed angrier in America than former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Quote, tonight I turned on the news and I am heartbroken, Haley wrote. It's important to understand that the death of George Floyd was personal and painful for many. In order to heal, it needs to be personal and painful for everyone. But wait a second, you may be wondering, how am I, quote, personally responsible for the behavior of a Minneapolis police officer? Um, so uh, different people will react uh, more strongly to, uh, than, to, to some of those statements than others, of course. Uh, but it was that last one, the statement she made about uh, the George Floyd case that you heard Tucker commenting on that Ron DeSantis was asked about when he joined uh, Jake Tapper over the weekend. It's like watching the video is is painful for, for Americans to see. And and do you not think that empathy is an important quality for a U.S. president? Of course it is. Nobody's saying that, but to say that uh, the actions of one police officer means that Americans in Iowa or Texas or Florida, uh, that it should be painful for them when they had nothing to do with it, uh, that does not make any sense. And so that individual was, uh, was arrested. He went through a criminal process. But that is not emblematic of police officers in general, much less the American public in general. And I would note, you know, that was said 
at the time when we started to see the unrest in this country. And you had massive riots that have destroyed cities like Minneapolis. It's going to take decades for Minneapolis to be able to recover. So the response to that uh, was totally out of bounds. For uh, more on this and a couple of other matters uh, about election transparency, please be joined again by Ken Cuccinelli, National Chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative, former AG of VA, and uh, again, also affiliated (laughs) with the Never uh, Back Down Super PAC that supports DeSantis. Ken, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hey, always good to be with you guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, have you no empathy, sir? Jake Tapper wants to know. um, What... what, (laughs) I, I bet that I, I bet that I bet that is going to be something that uh, the other candidates like a Chris Christie will seize on on a debate stage to suggest that uh, Nikki Haley was right. And that was a, a moment where she was trying to be a uniter. Uh, I'm not sure that you're going to see Chris Christie leading the way and trying to be the most empathetic, but um, <laughs> yeah, well. uh, that would be interesting. But but if if the other candidates, as they have in the past, like Nikki Haley, want to attack Ron DeSantis because he believes in the police and and is not supportive of what I'll call the movement that that exploded out of the George Floyd killing, which you all saw in spades in Chicago. I mean, you had the Columbus statue, you had the cops who were clearly, clearly jumped. Mm -hmm. That was a premeditated ambush by a mob and your then police chief gave one of the best press conferences laying it out with drone footage and everything showing these so-called peaceful protesters as the lamestream media wanted to call them you know had bags of weapons rocks cans they showed them all training changing into their black amorphous clothing so they could couldn't be identified um, so you had it right there in Chicago, and Ron DeSantis is absolutely right to, to absolutely knock Jake Tapper out of the park on that one and Nikki Haley along the way. But her response, Nikki's response on the George Floyd comment was typical Nikki Haley. I mean, she's just a classic Republican surrender politician. We've seen this for our whole lives. Their instincts are Chamber of Commerce and surrender to the New York Times. And we don't need that. She's trying to paint herself as tough at the moment. She's got a 20-year track record that says otherwise. Well, um, you're not supposed to be in this position, though. DeSantis is not supposed to be in this position of having to go chapter and verse on Nikki Haley two months before the Iowa caucus. So that's that's not where DeSantis was supposed to be. That's not where you want to be. So how do you how do you make a move here at some point? Well, of course... Governor Kim Reynolds just endorsed the governor, Governor DeSantis. I've got to keep the governor straight here. Yeah. Um, and she's beloved in Iowa and has just has been all in campaigning for him since then. He's just about to finish the full Grassley, as they call it, going to all 99 counties. No other candidate has even tried to get around the state so much. And the, we have an extensive door knocking operation in support of the governor we're on our fourth pass of Iowa's likely voters. Nobody has ever done this before this thoroughly. So I think that his grinding away, the, the man is a workhorse, not a show horse. You know, you want a show horse, you got Trump in the race. But uh, And I worked for President Trump. I'm not anti-Trump, but he's not the best choice for president. He can't serve eight years. Um, he's slowing down. He's not the guy he was in 2016. 
and and frankly, it's all about him instead of about changing America for the better, as DeSantis is focused on. So I think that breaks through. At this point, I think in 2015, Ted Cruz was in third place in Iowa, and he won Iowa. Uh, and, um, you know, this is a much thinner field than 2016, which makes a big difference going forward. And I think that uh, Nikki Haley doesn't have staying power. Uh, Trump obviously does have staying power if for no other reason than he gets so much media coverage. But DeSantis, we've been working in states all the way into the March states, and his record is literally the best of any conservative of our lifetimes. Taxes, life, Second Amendment, knocking back higher education, which has been one of the most difficult institutions in America to deal with, um, protecting kids schools, beating the teachers' unions. I mean, the list goes on. And of course, COVID, he was right and Trump was wrong in spades, um, spectacularly so, protecting freedom. And that freedom difference is most interesting with Nikki's latest double down on social media. I want their names. I don't, none of these anonymous people. And I love her, her when she was falling backwards on that. She said, well, just from just for foreigners, not for Americans. Well, really, how do you know anonymous people online are American? <laughs> well, so what's the path ahead, though, for Governor DeSantis? I mean, it, polls right now show Trump winning Iowa, maybe Chris Christie winning New Hampshire, and then off to South Carolina. Chris Christie winning New Hampshire? What poll shows that? Uh, that's <laughs> no. I mean, these are 30-point so races Christy. right now, plus. Come on. Yeah, so um, – Iowa polling has never been correct on on um, caucuses. It's not off. It's not off by forty points. I mean, close, come on, come on. I, I hear you, but you know, you ask a question, I answer it, and the answer is he gr- continues to grind away. And when people actually get the cast votes, then we get to the numbers that matter, which aren't polling numbers. We wouldn't all continue doing this if this was, um, you know, fr- a fruitless effort. And uh, Trump has incumbent-like positioning. And I get that. We all get that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the only one who can compete with him is Ron DeSantis, can also beat Joe Biden, and in fact runs ahead of polling, as we saw in Florida when we all thought, oh, there'll be a red wave across America. Well, there was a red wave in Florida, and that was it. And not only did Ron DeSantis win the biggest swing state by 19 points, he also increased his legislative majorities and he helped 29 school board candidates get over the line. They, they, he didn't just win Miami-Dade by 10 points, which is amazing for a Republican. He helped take over a majority on the Miami-Dade school board. Look, this is a guy who's been literally the most conservative ever, and he's turned around and sold it to a very diverse electorate that is a lot like Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, states that Republicans need to win to win in 2024. And Donald Trump is in position to do that. You can you can say poll this, poll that. Add the conviction from Washington D.C. to those polls, and tell me what happens. Add RFK Jr. to those polls, who, where he gets anti-COVID votes from Trump more than Biden, because Trump's the one who put us on the path we were on. You know, those are not factored in. You need to be realistic here about what's going to happen in the next year. Conservatives are supposed to face reality, not deny it. And when you face reality, Ron DeSantis has far and away the best chance to beat Joe Biden between him and Trump. 
and only Ron DeSantis can compete with Donald Trump across the entire Republican electorate. Let's get to the transparency, regardless of who the nominee is. Um, there's this bipartisan, bipartisan legislation uh, that's been sponsored to standardize uh, the postal envelopes that contain ballots for the purposes of tracking yeah. and, and uniformity. I mean, okay, it doesn't exactly uh, set my heart aflame. That legislation, comment on that specifically, and then also, again, generally, do we want to do a stop, look, and listen on what your handle is with respect to ballot integrity, generally speaking, particularly in the swing states for next year? Yeah, so it is very rare that there's much the federal government can do that is useful in this space. Um, we spent 21 and 22 fighting off an attempted Democrat takeover in Washington of our all our elections. But the post office is federal. It is the responsibility of the federal government. And literally, I've read the bill. It's two pages long, which I wish more federal bills were. And all it does is standardize tracking of post office envelopes so you can keep track of ballots. And that is a transparency Step. It's a step in the transparency direction. I agree with you. It doesn't rock the world, but it is it is not bad, and it is a step in the right direction. More importantly, your other question, where are we in the swing states and all the states uh, relative to 2024? And generally speaking, uh, we are better off than we were going into the 2020 election. The negative counterexample to that is Michigan, but in Arizona, Wisconsin, uh, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Virginia, we are better off than we were going into the 2020 election. We've either, we, there's any combination of things, getting rid of the Zuckerbucks, where so-called nonprofit money from Mark Zuckerberg was used to do Democrat voter turnout by paying government entities to do that. Over half the states have banned that now. Um, Drop boxes have been wiped out in Wisconsin for now. That fight continues, but that's an improvement. Same as in Georgia and Florida. They've been either eliminated or secured. Texas can say the same thing. North Carolina just passed. It took them three years to do it, but they just passed an omnibus election reform bill uh, over the veto of the governor. It took one flip of a Democrat to become a Republican in the legislature there to get a, a veto-proof majority. And um, and so we've seen Arizona, a whole bunch of little things. They're not mass mailing out ballot applications. They're, they've put steps in place like Georgia to clean up their voter rolls. Um, and the granddaddy of them all, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is going back to Atlanta no. as an apology to Georgia no. for calling them all racist for no. cleaning up their election laws. How about that? <laughs> uh, okay, well, so, I mean, so there's no reason, uh, there's every reason to believe that the Republican nominee can win those states if they do the blocking and tackling, the vote-by-mail programs and the other uh, field, the field work. Absolutely. But, but there's no, so yeah. to, people, to people who think it's rigged, we'll never win, we can't win these states, and so on and so forth, you say that is not true. I say that is not true. And, and in fact, where, where we haven't finished with cleanup laws, like my home state of Virginia, in Virginia in 2021, they secured a, the, the ballot effectively 
by recruiting 4,000 new people to be election officers. And everybody listening to the three of us this morning can do this. Your local election office brings citizens in to run the poll books, to count the ballots, to check the envelopes from absentee ballots. All of those things are done by citizens who just step into the role during the election season. And I would urge everybody listening to get trained and do that. And you'll actually be paid a little bit of money, believe it or not. This is not a volunteer position. And there are groups out there like the Election Integrity Network that starts with the Virginia Institute for Public Policy, where they train people up to do this mm-hmm. for your state. And um, you guys are heard across multiple states. But the fact of the matter is the folks listening to us, this is something they can do. And it worked with no change in the law. I'm telling you, as a former attorney general, more penalties don't keep people from cheating. And i got to say this part slowly. The probability of being caught doesn't change people's behavior, but their belief in the probability of getting caught changes their behavior. And when our folks flood the election offices, the other side gets nervous. They actually freak out. we got to leave uh, leave leave it. We got to leave it there. Thanks so much for that. Appreciate that. Ken Cuccinelli, National Chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative and former Virginia AG. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Yeah, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, we began the show with this story, but it bears repeating because it is really a seismic political event. And I'm talking about uh, the election of Javier Mille as the next president of the country of Argentina. This is a radical capitalist, an economist by uh, economist by training and uh, profession who burst on the scene largely through uh, debates and uh, his own uh, programming on television in Argentina. He had a well, yeah, program- Booker's, Booker's loved him because he was, you know, he would speak quickly against government spending and ruling political class and ratings. He was a ratings grabber. He was awesome. But he, he spoke a- the truth and he was real. He wasn't faking it. He had a program where he would debunk the myths that are promulgated by socialists. Maybe we need a spinoff in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Mille, in an interview he gave with Bloomberg News, I know some people saw him on Tucker. The interview, actually, that Bloomberg News did was more instructive. Uh, talked about uh, his positioning, his uh, throw the bums out campaign, and what the... Uh, ruling caste in Argentina has inflicted upon the people of Argentina. And we're the ones who best represent the opposition to the establishment and the status quo, because deep down on the other side, there are socialists with bad manners or good manners. But there are all socialists who are impoverishing the country, and they're the same from 40 years ago. They've been leading Argentina for years, and it's getting poorer by the minute. In fact, in 2001, there were two and none left. They are the same from then, plus they've multiplied. 
So that's why we say that different Argentina is impossible if things continue the same as always. And we're here to change that. Socialists of good manners and socialists of bad manners, but they're all socialists. He could have been talking about Illinois. He could have been talking largely, some exceptions, largely about uh, the Beltway as well. For more on that uh, event, that election in Argentina and other geopolitical matters, we're pleased to be joined again by Stephen Bucci. He served America for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer and top Pentagon official. He's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Steve, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate you letting me come back. So, uh, Millet, um, Brexit 2.0? Uh, you know, it remains to be seen. Uh, obviously, very flamboyant politician, uh, very outspoken with his ideas, uh, similar to a certain guy who ran here in the United States a while back, uh, President Trump. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's always interesting to me that anybody who is a little bit different than the standard run-of-the-mill politician, all of those politicians all start clutching their pearls and swooning that, oh, my God, this is the end of the world. Let's wait and see that the people of the country elected him. Let's end of the right end of the world, because I, I, I believe in I believe in what you say you believe in, but you don't. I'm standing against the rent seeking corporate class who uh, buys the, you know, buys the politicians and captures the regulatory agencies to say free minds and free markets, free exchange, free trade. We don't do pacts with communists, whether they're communists under Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua or under uh, President Xi in China. I mean, those are the things that we say. The difference is, it seems to me, he's serious about it. And you're not supposed to really be serious about it. Exactly right. There, you know, there's lots of window dressing, lots of posturing, but not a heck of a lot of action. And this guy appears like he is going to take action. So that's scary to the standard politicians in almost everybody's country. Uh, and we'll have to see where he goes. You know, he could turn out to be a horrible guy. We don't know. But yeah. let's not hang him preemptively. The people elected him. That's their choice. Let's see what he does once he gets into office. Um, Moving over to um, Eastern Europe. So Zelensky is uh, saying a lot of things uh, about uh, Russia's intentions. One, he said that Russia was behind October 7th through its Iranian allyship. Eh, uh, okay, I I need some dot connecting there. Yeah, that's kind of a stretch. Yeah, that's, that's what it seemed to me. He also said that Russia has plans to strike the Balkans to distract the West's attention away from Ukraine. Now, that's a a much easier leap because they've already been doing some mischief in there with their friends, the Serbs, uh, trying to stir things up in in Bosnia-Herzegovina, where I spent two time as their defense attache there in, um, in Sarajevo. And spent a lot of time going up into the northern part of the country where the the Serb uh, minority lives, Kosovo, all those areas where Russia can influence the Serbs. uh, They would love to see that change hands uh, in several of those areas. So that that one, 
I can believe that's sort of well within Russia's wheelhouse through an October 7th. I, I don't think so. Um, moving over to the Middle East, we have so many theaters to cover. Um, the um, reporting by the Amazon Post that there is a tentative deal but, uh, between uh, uh, the Israeli government and uh, Hamas, essentially, for a five-day pause in the, uh, the campaign in exchange for 50 hostages to be released, no men and no soldiers, but 50 hostages. What's, what's your handle on that reporting? Uh, you know, it's, it's possible Netanyahu left that open, that if there were a meaningful uh, release of the hostages, that he would take a pause, not a ceasefire. Uh, and, you know, it looks like they, the leadership there in Israel have made a decision. If, if the reporting is true at all, I don't know that it is. But that one seems very possible. That would be a significant one, particularly to get some of the women and children out. Uh, but I don't think anybody in the West ought to make the mistake to think that this means Israel is going to stop and we're going to go back to the, the status quo prior to October 7th. I think Israel is going to continue this fight and they are going to remove has, uh, Hamas from their uh, position of authority in Gaza, and they are not going to allow that to happen again. Well, what is your reaction to I mean, there's so many pro-Palestinian protests over the weekend here in Chicago on Saturday. They shut down six lanes at Lakeshore Drive. They took over. And, and I just wanted you to hear this. This is one of the protesters. We're telling them no business as usual. We're not going to allow you to do business. That means we're going to shut down your major thoroughfare for hours if we have to. So they're getting more uh, aggressive, I would say, in their protesting tactics. How long is this going to continue? Uh, well, until somebody stops them. I think the uh, we have freedom of speech and freedom of assembly here in the United States, even for people who are not citizens of the country. <clears throat> but we, you don't have complete freedom of action to disrupt other people and disrupt business. And I think at a certain point, Law enforcement needs to be allowed to step in and stop behavior that is not appropriate, that's destructive, or that impinges uh, overly on on the rights of other people doing their, you know, living their lives and uh, and trying to do, you know, get a, go to their job and that sort of thing. Uh, and I'm sorry, every report that you see from Gaza reconfirms the horrific nature of what Hamas has done uh, and what they are still doing. And, you know, the leadership of Hamas has said repeatedly, no, we did everything that you guys said we did on October 7th. We're proud of it and we're going to keep doing it. So why in the world would anyone think that Israel should be forced into some sort of accommodation with those folks is beyond me. And we need to step up across the, the Western world and say to some of these protesters, enough. We, we, we'll listen to you. If you speak peacefully, you destroy things. You're going to go to jail. And if you're not a, a legal resident, you're going to be deported. Uh, with respect to last week's confab between uh, the big guy and uh, Chinese dictator, President Xi, other than calling him a dictator, uh, was anything particularly accomplished in advance of America's interests in the Indo-Pacific? 
You mean apart from the the massively important thing that we're going to get some pandas back in the country? Yeah, uh, well, pan, no, panda I, diplomacy I, is important. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we got much of anything out of it, uh, other than to confirm in President G's mind that he could roll President Biden over pretty much anything, and uh, that that's kind of the reality. It was not a stunning performance on President Biden's part at all. Um, would uh, I mean? It seems to me like if you really wanted to send a message to Xi, that would have been the perfect occasion to do it while he's being feted by uh, America's, some of America's top corporate executives, at least in terms of wealth. What a disgusting display that was. But that would have been the perfect time if you were interested. I'm not, I know that Joe Biden isn't, but if you were interested to um, announce that we're going to, I don't know, uh, speed up the supply of weapons to Taiwan or um, provide a roadmap to uh, uh, making sure that Taiwan is able to defend itself. Would that would that have been too provocative for you, or is that something that, uh, if there was a president interested in deterring Xi and uh, Chinese uh, expansion, that uh, that's something like that would have been appropriate? No, I, I think something like that would have been very appropriate. You know, the the Chinese do all sorts of things that are provocative. You know, building islands out in international waters and then claiming that that's now their their waters because they built this island out there. Uh, you know, that's like anchoring a, a aircraft carrier in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and claiming that as, as American waters. That's They do incredibly provocative things. But when we do something, you know, they, they go crazy. Like when Nancy Pelosi visited, you know, I never I can't think of anything I've ever agreed with Nancy Pelosi on. But making that visit to Taiwan, there was absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's a sovereign nation. And if she wants to visit there as the Speaker of the House, she had every right to do it. And for the Chinese to just go crazy over it, uh, I'm sorry, they can't control our policies. And if we let them do that, they will just keep doing it. And it's got to stop. Stephen Bucci served America for three decades, Army Special Forces, top Pentagon official as well. He's the visiting fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Stephen Bucci, thanks as always. Thanks for having me. Have a great week and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There's a new line of attack from Governor DeSantis's camp in the direction of former President Trump. You uh, heard it mentioned in our conversation with uh, former Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli earlier in the program. Uh, and it was mentioned by Ron DeSantis uh, on the Sunday talk shows. For example, his appearance with Jake Tapper, that uh, Trump isn't the guy he was in 2016. And they mean that with respect to age and mental acuity. Right. That's that's they, you know, he's it's been said before, but it be it's more pointed now. I mean, they've said it before. Yeah, not a job for an octogenarian. If you've heard that from DeSantis, but but it's more pointed now. They must think that there is some. Uh, ground to be gained by this approach. Take a listen. 
Uh, Donald Trump's a high-risk proposition as a nominee because I think the chance of him getting elected is small. Uh, but it's a low reward because he's going to be a lame duck on day one. Even if he could get elected, he would not be able to attract the type of talent to work in his administration, and he'd be saddled with all these distractions that would be virtually impossible uh, to get the job done. The presidency is not a job uh, for somebody that's pushing 80 years old. I just think that that's something that has been shown with Joe Biden. Father time is undefeated. Donald Trump is not exempt from any of that. Uh, I think with somebody like me, you go in, you know, I'm in the prime of my life. I go in day one. I'll serve two terms, deliver big results, and get the country moving again. That's what Republican voters want to see. Um, I don't know if it's – I think that's a bit of a misunderstanding of the uh, energy behind Trump in large measure and how over the last uh, several months he's been able to stretch out his lead and maintain it over the rest of the field. The um, He'll be a lame duck on day one. Yeah, but the problem that DeSantis and the other candidates have is right now Trump is the vehicle by which to smash the political ruling class in D.C. Right. And, and he has no, a proven record. Well, that and no one has more incentive and no one would be a bigger, frankly, F you to the uh, rent seeking bipartisan political class than Trump and I think it's very I mean, I, I understand that's a difficult argument to get around because the case is pretty strong and so is the intensity. But I think that's what that approach lacks in terms of addressing. And again, I mean, I, we keep referencing it. That election in Argentina yesterday with uh, Mele uh, wiping the floor with the socialists there on a campaign of throw the bums out and all of this big government uh, rent seeking central planning that is all gone. We are charting a completely different course. Um, boy, I'll tell you, there's a lot of uh, Argentinian kleptocrats and bureaucrats that better pick up a, a copy of human action to understand what's in store for them. If uh, Millet is able to get his way. And I got to tell you, Dan, I just drove through Iowa. I was in Northern Iowa. I did a loop around the state of Iowa. Trump signs everywhere. Watch the local news in Sioux City. It was all bashing DeSantis, um, pro-Trump ads. I, I just think it's, I know he got the endorsement of Governor Reynolds, but I don't think that that's going to elevate him much. Well, I mean, Kim Reynolds is popular, and she's done a wonderful job in Iowa. Yeah. But, um, you know, the exactly. the uh, endorsement that Trump is getting from Greg Abbott down in Texas, which focuses the attention on the border, um, it probably has more currency in Iowa even than Kim Reynolds because, as has been said, it was it was sort of unintentionally said last week by FBI Director Christopher Wray, um, but uh, Mark Green uh, translated it for us. Every state's a border state under this president. Mm -hmm. For more on all of this, we're pleased to be joined by Congresswoman Mar Marjorie Taylor Green. You can call her MTG because that's the title of her new book, MTG, which releases tomorrow. She's, of course, a Republican representing Georgia's 14th. Representative MTG, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hi, good morning to you both. Thanks so much for having me on. What's your uh, response to what uh, Ron DeSantis had to say about uh, about Trump? High risk, a low reward. He's in the prime of his life and Trump is not. You know, I was actually chuckling when you guys were talking about it. It's pretty hilarious to hear him say that, especially after he received the endorsement of Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. And he literally made no movement in the state of Iowa. 
Um, what you're hearing from him is the, the campaign talking points from the consultants that are getting rich off of his campaign while he steadily falls in the polls to nearly last place. People aren't supporting Ron DeSantis. People do not want him to be president. Um, people want President Trump to win, and they're voting for him, and they're showing it in the polling literally week after week, not only the primary, but the general polling. And that's because he has a, a four-year record that we all know and love, and we want him back. And when we talk about his age, look, I'm someone that can can testify to, to President Trump's uh, uh, fitness level and his mental acuity because I spend a lot of time with him and talk to him so frequently. This man has more energy than most people I know. It is unbelievable. He never stops working. Um, he sleeps less than all of us. He plays golf almost every single day. And, and he, he is constantly on the move campaigning all over the country. So there's, there's no criticism of him, uh, regardless of his age. He's exactly who we need, and, and I'll, I'm telling you, he's going to win. So DeSantis needs to do the right thing, as well as the rest of the candidates. They need to drop out and stop wasting donor money, uh, sitting around waiting for the, for the radical left to put President Trump in jail or take him off the ballot in state. is not, not very Republican of any of them. They're actually traitors for doing so and, and trying to capitalize on what the Democrats are doing to President Trump. Well, with respect to Trump, I mean, you know, this is a bit of a unknown. I mean, you can make arguments, I think, in both directions, but it's a bit of an unknown. What is your handle and response uh, to criticisms of Trump that focus on the fact that he's got four criminal trials to go through, some of which will probably conclude between now and next November, and that if and when he is convicted of charges in some of these jurisdictions where that's more likely than not to be to be sure um, how that could impact the race. The idea of, of the American people, the swing voter trying to reconcile voting for somebody who's been convicted of uh, of a federal or state felony. The, this is no threat to President Trump because everyone knows exactly what these indictments are. And this everyone knows the state DA's. And Biden's Department of Justice is literally operating as the campaign arm for Joe Biden. None of this would be happening to President Trump if he weren't running for president again. And they're so terrified he's going to win. They're using lawfare um, and, and politically persecuting him uh, just the same way they're doing to January 6th uh, people like veterans and grandmothers who walk through the Capitol, while at the same time they ignore every single elite that uh, spent a lot of time at Jeffrey Epstein's island. Um, and, 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 you know, there's many other arguments we could make, but I don't think, um, uh, these prosecutions are hurting him in any way. If any way, they're actually helping him because they're proving to Americans that haven't maybe paid close attention exactly who the Democrats are. They're communists. And this is, this, this, we're seeing it firsthand in America today, what we've seen in countries like Brazil. Uh, with Bolsonaro, we've seen it in many countries throughout history, and it's happening in America. And, and I argue that President Trump will win the election, and more and more people will want to support him. Uh, I wanted to get your reaction to, or I mean, not your reaction, but your assessment. Where, where are the House Republicans after the uh, deposing of Kevin McCarthy, the installation of Mike Johnson? I know you had... Uh, a resolution to move uh, impeachment of uh, DHS Secretary Ali Mayorkas that got sidelined. 
Um, I, and and this is detailed in your book as well, the book entitled MTG. Uh, your um, on again, off again uh, relationship with uh, the Freedom Caucus generally and individual members specifically. Wh- wh- where do you see the comity or lack thereof in the House Republican Caucus? Well, you know, um, the great thing for me is I'm a free agent, and I didn't go to Washington to make friends or, or, or join a club, and, and that's the good news. Um, our GOP conference is still fractured the same way it was under Kevin McCarthy. There, there really is no change under Mike Johnson, and you just saw that with the clean CR that Mike Johnson passed with the help of Democrats. Uh, there was over 90 of us that voted against it because we do not want to continue Joe Biden's budget that has wide open borders, um, that's destroying our economy, filled with woke garbage and the Green New Deal. We don't want to. We want to fight back with the Senate and Chuck Schumer. We want to put pressure on the White House and we want to change the funding of the government and, and reduce spending. Extremely important to do that. But we want to change the policies. Um, that clean CR did not change the policies. It continued Nancy Pelosi's policies going forward. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm completely against that. Um, I'm happy he released 90 of the 44,000 hours um, from the January 6th tapes. I hope he releases the rest of them. But we just don't want videos for everyone to watch. We need accountability. We need a special committee set up to hold those accountable um, for lying and, and abusing the justice system. Uh, and, a, and a powerful January 6th committee uh, that, that has hurt so many people and ruined so many people's lives. Um, so for me, I didn't go to Washington to make friends. That's what I wrote my book about, MTG. And I hope people get a copy at mtgbook.com because I'm there I'm there to do a job. And, and it's not about being friends with people. It's about working for the American people. Well, in your book, too, you talked about how you got uh, booted from the Freedom Caucus. Did you, you really found out about the vote on Twitter? They didn't have the decency to tell you? Yeah, I found out when I was, this is how bad it was, sitting on the House floor, it was just a few hours after it happened, when the chairman of the Freedom Caucus and, and those that had taken the vote were literally sitting a few rows away from me, and no one came up and told me anything about it. They didn't even tell me it was going to happen, didn't tell me they had done it, and I, I read it on Twitter while I was sitting there uh, rolling through Twitter on um, in between votes. And I went and asked another Freedom Caucus member, I said, did this really happen this morning? And he said, yes, it did. And I said, I I had no idea. No one even told me and no one's had the audacity to come tell me now. Um, And, you know, I I want you to know Ken Buck. Ken Buck is a member of the Freedom Caucus. And he goes every single week to every single meeting. Um, So there's, you know, people really need to understand that it's, there's a core group in there that, that really uh, aren't who they say they are. Um, and unfortunately, they, they made that decision again. Well, why did they kick you out, though? Tell people. What's your intuition? I, I don't know. I have, if you look at my voting record, I'm one of the most conservative members in the House. I have a 100 on conservative review. That's my scorecard. That's, those are my actions, not my words. And um, I think I think they were they just were upset with me um, that they claimed it was because I had a conversation with Lauren Boebert on the House floor uh, where she had copied my articles of impeachment on Joe Biden. And it was a private conversation. There was no one listening uh, to that conversation. But as soon as it was over, she went to the press and told people what I said to her. 
and uh, it, it happened after that. So I still don't know why because no one, I haven't went and asked them about it. I'm glad to be out of a group that, that doesn't that doesn't stick to their own rules and that support people like Ken Buck over me. I was her what? second Did you call her the B word? Yes, I did to her face in a private conversation. But that was a private conversation. Um, and and it shouldn't have, you know, she leaked it to the press. So who is who who you said uh, some of the people in the Freedom Caucus aren't who they say they are. Who is? Give us uh, examples of people you say these are authentic conservative reformers. Well, there's a lot of there are there are a lot of great members in there. You got to realize that it's a um, a group of uh, close to forty members, mm-hmm. and yeah. so and I and but, again I encourage but, people but, look at but that I mean you're you're, you're you're not on an island. I mean you you have to work with some of some of your colleagues. I mean so who who do you have good relationships with? Oh, and I I do work with many of my colleagues. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, on my articles of impeachment. Um, on Mayorkas, uh, there was only eight Republicans that voted against me. So that shows that I have a good working relationship with people on issues that are extremely important. Um, but, you know, my book is, I think it's a great read, MTG, mtgbook.com. You guys can find out exactly who I really am, not who the headlines say I am, um, or, or just a short radio interview. And, and I hope people get a copy of it and order it. All right. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Congresswoman representing Georgia's 14th. The book, MTG, as you heard, mtgbook.com. Representative Taylor Greene, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me this morning, guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, you too. And I uh, appreciate Hopefully we'll have you back. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, one agent provocateur from January 6th was found guilty of several felony charges. John Sullivan, you remember this guy? He was a BLM a BLM activist who presented as a January 6th pro-Trump protester. Oh, yeah, I remember him. And uh, he was caught on film because he was filming, saying things like this. It's all fake. My, na- my, my face is not on Instagram. I learned that shit already. Wear, I'm going to wear a Trump hat. I'm going to wear a Trump hat. I bought one today. <laughs> I was wearing a Trump hat at the f***ing last Trump, at the Trump rally during the daytime. Because I was like, no, that shit ain't happening, bro. Yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, I was just a journalist, but I use that all the time. Yeah, I'm just a journalist. I'm here recording. I got my camera on my shoulder. Literally, I have my big ass camera on my shoulder right here. Mm-hmm. Um, he also... Uh said, among other things, caught on tape. I'm going to side with anyone who is ready to rip this blank down. I bought my megaphone to instigate blank. Uh, We did this together. F yeah, we're all part of this history. Let's burn this blank down. And the prosecutors used that against him since he was in the Capitol and instigating uh, the same sort of illegal conduct that he was engaged in. Uh, But it's interesting. So, So on the one hand, you have an agent provocateur like Sullivan, charged and convicted 
you have Ray Apps after months and months and months, years really, of we don't know who this guy is. He seems to be an instigator, uh, and nobody will claim him as an asset. But he's not charged with doing the same things or worse than other people did who are charged. And then all of a sudden, you know, after so much time and so much notoriety, he quietly pleads guilty to a misdemeanor. Right. So, and he was on 60 Minutes. I mean, he's had freedoms for. So he was an instigator, I guess, according to the feds, after he wasn't for all that time when he was wanted and then he wasn't wanted. It's just tough to make uh, heads or tails of all this because there are so many people and there are so many agendas and there are so many incongruities. And now we have more video evidence, uh, thanks to the additional tapes that Mike Johnson released. And by the way, I'll have to mea culpa this. I was sort of um, giving Kevin McCarthy the benefit of the doubt when it came to the amount of January 6th recordings he released Saying, you know, I mean, he's he, good faith. He turns it over to Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson uses it. That's sort of it's like that's that. So everybody focuses the attention on one guy who you trust to d- distill this for us. But um, after so after that, that may have been an okay first step. But after that, um, yeah, the rest should come out, and I, I agree that the rest should continue to be released by Mike Johnson, and I hope they will. But trying to get a handle on what the larger story is as you go individual story by individual story and try to assess whether people who are similarly situated are being treated equitably uh, under the law, equally under the law, I should say, equally under the law. And because you can't get any answers still from. The feds. I mean, Chris Ray was before the uh, House Committee on Homeland Security last week, and Representative Clay Higgins from Louisiana pressed him on, you know, okay, here we are. The questions again. Uh, can you now tell us whether or not the FBI had uh, confidential human uh, resources and other assets um, uh, in play on that day? And again, he refused, and Clay Higgins was basically left to say, you know, your day will come, Christopher Ray, but no one knows if that's really. True. We'll see. All right. To help us, nobody's been uh, uh, more on the case uh, of January 6th than all that transpired in that day and the prosecution or lack thereof of individuals uh, from that day than Julie Kelly. You can get uh, her uh, writings at uh, her Substack, Declassified with Julie Kelly. She's also the author of the book January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War of Terror a war on terror against the political right. Julie, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for having me on. Before we even get to the new tapes, what, what about, you know, maybe you can provide clarity where I can't with respect to how should we see the conviction of John Sullivan and the uh, the uh, plea deal of Ray Apps, these agent provocateurs that we alleged and it was disputed at the time. And then now they're both they're convicted of their respective crimes. How should we see that in the context of the larger uh, concerns that you've written about and that many people have expressed about the way that people that uh, committed relatively minor nonviolent trespass offenses have been treated by the justice system? What's 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 like the big takeaway that you have from things that appear to be hard to reconcile? 
Well, as your listeners know, the big takeaway is the Department of Justice, led by Merrick Garland, and in Washington, led by Matthew Graves, uh, a Biden appointee, is not applying the law equally. Now, in the case of John Sullivan, the DOJ actually was sort of in, in, in a corner there because John Sullivan, among other things, filmed the fatal shooting of Ashley Babbitt. Right. So there was a lot of pressure, of course, to hold him accountable for his actions, for his comments. We know that he was aligned with BLM in Salt Lake City. So here we are almost three years later, his trial repeatedly delayed and finally convicted um, last week. Now, in the case of Ray Epps, the DOJ has intentionally and repeatedly lied and mischaracterized his movements on January 5th and 6th. In fact, I used surveillance video, my team. We scoured the footage on the west side of that building. He was involved in numerous offenses that day, including interfering with police officers. He's not charged with that. He should definitely be charged with the most common felony, obstruction of an official proceeding, which has been slapped against more than 300 J6ers and is one of the four counts in special counsel Jack Smith's indictment against Donald Trump for January 6th. Ray Epps is being protected. I was told this by one defendant, Ryan uh, Ryan Samsel, who Ray Epps whispered in his ear right before Ryan Samsel was involved in the first physical uh, breach of the exterior lines. Why he is still being protected, we don't know. The media... But wait, so pleading out to the misdemeanor, um, that was that's like a Hunter Biden deal? Is that what we're to understand? Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. I mean, I I think I went through the 1,200-plus cases for January 6th. There may be two defendants who face only one charge. This is so highly unusual that he isn't even charged with the most common four misdemeanors, that he only has one. Um, So there's still a lot more to this. We don't have the sentencing recommendation from DOJ. Very curious to see what they'll ask for at any time for him behind bars because, of course, they are asking for jail time for misdemeanors. So it's just one of the big questions, right? Ray Epps and this missed uh, application of justice, whether you're a J6er, you get the book thrown at you, you get armed FBI raids if you sprayed police. But if you sprayed police last week outside of the DNC, you're not subjected to armed FBI raids. You don't even know your name. The DOJ and Capitol Police will completely ignore that and bury that, even though those very same that same conduct is resulting in armed FBI raids, pretrial detention, and prison sentences up to seven years in jail. So that, I think, to your point, is what really infuriates our side, is that we have a DOJ flagrantly using this double standard of justice based on what political side you're aligned with. So there's 44,000 hours of January 6th footage. 90 videos were released on Friday afternoon, which I think he should release them on a Monday because more people would see it. But in it, you see, and I wanted you to explain further, Matthew Perna, he was wearing a red sweatshirt and he was casually wandering around, um, not not doing anything. But he eventually, he hung himself because the government refused to acknowledge that some people walked inside the Capitol and wandered around. And he, he had, I mean, is how many people have committed suicide that were arrested on J6 or after J6 for being at the Capitol? At least four that we know of, possibly two others. Um, but they are committing suicide because they have been subjected to this abusive, retaliatory prosecution by the Department of Justice. Matthew Perna, 
um, hanged himself in his garage in February of 2022. I spoke with his father and his aunt a few days after that tragic uh, incident. And the reason he hanged himself is because the DOJ had charged him with this obstruction felony I just talked about. And the government told his defense attorney that they were going to seek a terror enhancement at sentencing. Usually, his lawyer had told him, you might spend six to 12 months in jail. But DOJ postponed his sentencing hearing and told his lawyer they would seek years in prison. Matthew Perna never had a criminal record, walked inside the building peacefully, walked inside after Congress had been evacuated, about 45 minutes after. He posed no threat to anyone. College degree, a businessman. Um, instead of enduring what the DOJ had already done to him and his family and now wanted to throw him behind bars for years because he supported Donald Trump, not because he obstructed an official proceeding, because he supported Donald Trump, that they wanted to throw him in jail. We, we have uh, uh, some of these videos that um, have been released, you know, I mean, it's obviously a, a lot to pour through and um, more to come, I, I suspect. But one of, just for example, I saw Citizen Free Press, um, it's a good Twitter follow, in addition mm-hmm. to Julie Kelly. Um, they posted one. Just, you, know, they, they, you have uh, police inside the Capitol walking a protester out who was handcuffed. Then they unhandcuff him, and he, uh, you know, they fist bump the cop and this, this young guy. And, he, and he, walks out, uh, he walks out the door, and the police go back about their business. I mean, so I, I don't know if... Um, that's uh, somebody who's been charged with anything, but that's the kind of thing where it's like, so, so what exact, you know, it's uneven. Obviously there were things that we've seen from the videos that were violent and there was, there was problems happening at Capitol, but then there were other areas um, and other interactions that were not terribly problematic. And it's hard to keep track because there's so many people that have been charged. Like who is being treated? How based on what, you know what I'm saying? I certainly do. I absolutely do. So the individual in that clip, ironically, ironically, was just arrested two weeks ago. Now, the DOJ knew that these clips were coming because Kevin McCarthy's office had been working on this for months. They knew that that clip was going to be released. So they arrested that individual just a few weeks ago, almost three years later. Now, what is interesting about that clip, not just the fist bump that he gives someone who obviously is an undercover agent dressed in khakis, mm-hmm. has a yeah, face right. mask. Right. Who is that guy? Right. What was he doing? But the individual they released, Jared Owens, who was just charged, they accused him of assaulting police twice, but he had a knife on him. They took the knife out of the, his side hip pocket and put it in his backpack and then let him leave. <laughs> now, that is highly suspicious. And there was a very good chance that that individual is some sort of asset, too. They burned them because they knew this clip was coming. They burn their assets all the time to protect themselves. So there's going to be a lot more, I suspect, coming out of that incident as well. You said Kevin McCarthy was working on this with DOJ. So was Kevin McCarthy um, generally, would you characterize him as being constructive in trying to get this uh, these videos released? I do. I am going to give him credit because I've been working with his staff for months. Um, But look, my sources tell me um, there was some very powerful opposition to the release of these videos by people in the U.S. Senate. I'm hoping to get confirmation about that and release that uh, shortly. 
And people might be surprised or maybe not who uh, objected to the release of these videos. Mm. Mm. No, that would definitely be important information as these videos are going to further uh, and appropriately, unfortunately, drive cynicism about uh, law enforcement and the intel agencies and the political class and uh, even, uh, obviously, that would include many in the Republican ranks, too. Um, great stuff. I mean, I always follow your reporting on this because you're uh, so on top of it. Julie Kelly, Declassified with Julie Kelly is her substack. She's also the author of the book January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. Julie, thanks as always. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, you too. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. This is um, one of those stories that's really going to crystallize the issue of public safety, certainly for the residents of L.A., and it's going to keep public safety on the front burner when the uh, law-abiding are treated like criminals and you have prosecutors that are treating criminals like, well, I wouldn't say the law-abiding because the law-abiding are being treated like criminals. They're just treating them as uh, they have carte blanche to do whatever they want because of their intersectional score. The incident we're talking about happened to Vince Ricci, who is an L.A. resident by way of New York. He is uh, uh, getting home, walking up to his front door, and then he is assailed by two guys with guns. He turns to defend himself. The uh, ABC affiliate, the ABC affiliate in L.A. had the story. Surveillance video shows a masked intruder with a gun run up to this mid-city man about to walk in his front door. The homeowner pulls out his gun to defend himself, firing shots at the two intruders, quickly entering a shootout. I guess they decided to try to come at me and come in the house, but I have a five-month-old baby and a wife, nanny in, in the house, and uh, that wasn't going to happen. There was nothing in my house that was worth dying for, but I was willing to die for my family. The shootout happened Saturday night around 7.30. The homeowner walks to the front door, grabbing for his keys. Two intruders jump the front gate. One intruder runs up to the front door. The mid-city man throws his tee, pulls out his gun, and starts shooting. And I don't know why I felt someone run up behind me, put something to my back, and then put a pistol to my back, and somebody else run it up. When shots are fired, the intruders disperse. One fires back, scrambling to hop over the side fence. The other hops over the front gate and runs away. After the attack, the family filed a report with the LAPD Olympic Division. It's a matter of time before these people are going to get caught. I think they should just pick a new career before they do end up in jail. Okay, so that's what happened. This is a couple of Saturdays ago. And it took uh, three days, I guess, for the police to respond and um, uh, address the video evidence that he had and what transpired. So he was a little critical of the response time by LAPD. And then LAPD... How did they respond, Dan? Responded by moving to revoke Vince Ricci's right to carry license. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us on our text line that's all fired up. Six four six three six. Type in D A. Then a quick comment. 
Why, Rich, why would they do that? He had the right to defend himself. You can see in the video the guy is pointing a gun at him, and he dropped his tee and got out his weapon and fired back in self-defense. Well, Vince Ricci has responded to the state of California, effectively the law enforcement and state government, the issuer. He's responded to their response by doing a video for the NRA. And here it is. <laughs> LA criminals came to my home, pointing guns at my chest. After successfully defending my home and my family, and my five-month-old child, California is now decided to suspend my Second Amendment. It was a quiet evening, and as I was coming home from the gym, the two armed men, masked, hopped over the wall, ran down on me with guns. And the most terrifying part was my wife and my five-month-old baby were on the other side of that door. In an effort to protect my family, I drew my gun and returned gunfire. As a result of that night, the California government has temporarily suspended my ability to concealed carry. This is an attempt to make me vulnerable at a time that is critical that I maintain my ability to protect my family. They'd rather leave me out there to dry and let my family become a statistic. My situation is unique because it happened at my front door, all on camera. But this happens time and time again all over the country. It doesn't get caught on camera. And people sweep it under the rug because it doesn't behoove their political agenda. The fact is, evil will always exist, but we need our ability to defend ourselves and keep our families safe from violent people. Just a few months ago, robbers broke into my home looking for easy money. Luckily, none of us were home, but then they came back. I used to walk in this house into my beautiful house that I built for my family, and now I walk into a war zone. Criminal is someone who doesn't follow the laws. They don't care about gun laws. They don't care about safety classes. They don't care about being qualified to be able to shoot. California government thinks my story is a myth. They don't think people like me actually exist. Right here in L.A., an innocent L.A. father was killed because District Attorney Gascon released a violent criminal back into the streets. And this is just one of the dozens of cases right here in this city. When an incident happened, there's only two things I could rely on. Myself and the Second Amendment. And now that's in jeopardy. The leftist gun grabbers do not care about your safety. The NRA does. My name is Vince Ritchie. I'm an Italian-American from the Bronx, New York. And I'm a proud member of the National Rifle Association. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Just like the uh, carjacking in Beverly, it's not real for people until you see the ring camera video of it, or the mm -hmm. security camera footage of it, right? Got a text message. Dan and Amy, LAPD, didn't like his attitude, and they're treating criminals like victims. Yeah, right. Well, right, because of the... Uh, yeah, the the white supremacist culture, blah 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 blah. The downtrodden this and uh, wasn't held enough that. No, I understand. I understand. But I think this is you know these incidents, particularly when people stand up the way that Richie did, and good for him. I mean, right? The, he had his home broken into. A, you know, relatively recently. It looks like a nice pad he's got. It looks like it's relatively new construction. Yeah. He had an uh, an electric gate, you know, so it's it's like it's not like it's uh, it's an eight foot gate. It looks like not, not, yeah, so vulnerable. But anyway, yeah, of course, of course, he's going to be uh, head on a swivel after his home gets robbed when they're not home, and then this happens, and then you're gonna you're going to the law enforcement and the state is going to fight with this guy about the ability to defend himself, and of course. The real uh, issue is you're making this guy the criminal. Right. Now, so now what happens if because of the lawlessness that has been 
instigated in part, at least in part, by Gascon, the Gascon, the DA there, the Soros-funded DA, just like the Soros-funded DA here named Fox. So if if that happens again and he defends himself again, what, is he going to be arrested? Well, that's true. Yeah, another text message. Still carry. How are they going to find out? Well, the only way they'll no. find out is if <laughs> it happens again, but yeah. it's already happened twice at his home. Uh, Randy in Orland Park. Hey, hi, Dan, Amy. Hey, let's uh, let's just get right to it. This is plain retaliation on the state's attorney, Gascon's office, even the LAPD, if they want to play a part to this, of retaliating against this homeowner, this citizen. He did, it, it, again, they're defending the system when it's being criticized by a, a lawful gun owner and with evidence that shows that he needed to defend himself. It's retaliation against him. It's about the system, not about public. Exactly. Thanks for the call, Randy. It's exactly what we talk about with K-12 through education all the time. We talk defend the system at all costs. It's The system must be protected because that's how we all in the system survive and benefit. So do not criticize the system. The system, if we have to lose some people along the way, holding the, the system the way that we've designed it, the way that we control it, inviolate, that is what is most important. That's what you see in all of these civic and even now governmental institutions that are supposed to be the cornerstones of a free society. Protect the system at the expense of the free law-abiding individual. Matt Southside. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. I was just wondering, this is taxation without representation. If citizens are paying taxes for the police to protect them, and people don't, and they don't show up in a timely manner, I mean, why are we paying taxes at that point? And the other thing I wanted to say is... To house migrants. To To house migrants, that's why you pay taxes. And I, I used to preference things. I used to preference like, you know what, it's not the rank and file, it's the, you know, the upper echelon of the police department. At what point don't we say, you know what, these people are responsible too. We've learned in the past that people who just follow orders are just as dangerous and just as guilty as the ones given the orders. Thanks for the call, Matt. Yeah, the Nuremberg defense gets tired, tiresome, doesn't it? Andy, Dallas, Texas. So I'm, I'm what I would consider to be a very reasonable gun owner. I mean, I'm ambivalent about gun shows and, and, and that, but, um, you know, and, and uh, background checks are, are fine. I feel the absolute need when I'm in Chicago to carry. When I'm in Texas, I don't really feel that need, although I do most of the time, and I have a fully stocked gun safe down here. But I'll tell you, the way to really to, to attack this problem it's stop for the NRA and all, all the other gun groups. Stop with the gigantic donations to these politicians who can be bought for $10 more by someone else. Start flooding the system with lawsuits and, and just hit all these cities, municipalities, counties. Hit them with, with lawsuits for damages and just start, just start bleeding the system of money. And and I think that's that's the way that you really you really get back. 
Yeah, thanks for the call, Andy. It's it's complicated though because you know it doesn't work in reverse when you think of uh, you know essentially taking the posture of the police brutality cases. So the police brutality cases that's that's a government agent that has exceeded his authority, has injured someone. That's pretty straightforward civil action, maybe a criminal, but certainly civil. Uh, it doesn't necessarily re- uh, work in reverse when you're not afforded the protection that you're uh, that you deserve uh, when it's based on prosecutorial discretion under the statute that governs right to carry in California, for example. It's more complicated. It's tough to pierce the sovereign immunity veil with these guys. And of course, that's purposeful because it's about protecting the system. But it's not a bad idea. I mean, certainly looking for openings. I'm, I'm all for it. Looking for openings. Robert in Bloomingdale. Hello? Yeah, hey, Robert. Yeah, how you doing? You know, here's my question that I want to ask. According to the story, they come into the house, the guy's in the house with his wife, children, and nanny drinking pee. They break in. How is it possible for the police to take away their guns when this is uh, they're breaking and entering? That's unconstitutional, wouldn't you think? Well, thanks for the call. Just to get the facts, it's it's at, it's he was at the front door, uh, opening the front door, and the, the one guy accosted him, stuck the pistol in his back. They never got in the house because he turned, and he, with his gun, and the guy started to flee, and he opened fire, and then he chased after him to ensure these guys were cleared off his property before he went back into his family. So they didn't they didn't they didn't break in, but they were they but, they obviously were trespassing right. on his property. So, I mean, the and in terms of the unconstitutionality of revoking his his um, right to carry license, um, right to carry because of the Bruin decision in New York last year, uh, that is a constitutional issue. But in terms of the standards or the the specifics of a particular case in which a the state may move to revoke a a concealed carry license. That's a little bit more complicated, although, again, I, I don't see how uh, California could make out a reasonable case to to, you know, to uh, revoke his license in this case, based on what we saw. Uh, John in Libertyville. Good morning, Dan and Amy. How you doing? Good. Good. I just want to know if maybe with all your contacts, you could ask uh, Kim Fox or maybe Governor Jaybag uh, if it's legal for me as a citizen to shoot at someone just breaking into my car or maybe my house, you know, like the Secret Service did. Or shoot a uh, 25-year-old uh, Air Force veteran, 125-pound woman climbing through a window. They couldn't use their baton or their, their spray or their physical force, but uh, the same policeman uh, who was a lieutenant who left his Glock pistol in the bathroom at the Capitol, and then it turned into a big, they thought a terrorist that was setting up an attack. Just a uh, wonderful government we have. Thanks for the call, John. Sean Darian. Yeah, I, I, good morning, guys. Um, yeah, I've had a concealed carry for five years. Uh, I've never bought, I never bought a gun uh, because I was afraid I'd be like this guy, even worse, kill him, and then, I'm be the one going to prison, but uh, that changed a week ago when that thing happened in Beverly with that woman and her daughter. So I bought it. I bought it a week ago, actually a concealed carry and a, uh, another handgun, the six hour two two six, and I'm 
willing to use it and willing to deal with the consequences, whatever happens, because I'm sick of it and I'm not going to be a victim or neither is my family. Thank you. Wow. Thanks, Sean. Good for you. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. All right, Dan, so I tweeted something out because Rosalind Carter died. I'm sure you've heard, 96 years old. They were married for 77 years. It was true love. When you look back, what are you most proud of? In my entire life's experience, I would say it was marrying my wife, Rosalind. She's been a very profound, beneficial factor in my entire existence and still is. Yeah. Now, of course, he couldn't say his presidency. Couldn't be proud of that. <laughs> no, but like, that's why I tweeted out. Like most couples married that long, he'll be joining her soon. Hashtag the notebook. Because remember in the notebook when they were married and, and she oh, died boy. and then he died right away? So you just marked the former president for death. All right, we know who I you did. have in the Deadpool. Okay, all right. all right. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.